This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing well. Can't see you on Zoom. (laughs) Cameras are off. Uh, We're having to try out some Skype stuff today for another interview that we have going on. So uh, we're learning as well, aren't we, Derek? We are. Um, some hectic moments about an hour ago, but I, hopefully we have it figured out. I don't want to. Don't want to count the, uh, you know, whatever the saying is, eggs <laughs> for the hatch or whatever, chickens yeah. and all that, all that saying. Uh, but hopefully we can get that done. But shall we recording today? A couple of days after um, momentum was snapped for the Kentucky basketball team, I had won three in a row and then played Florida. Really interesting game, Sean, because Kentucky did never trouble more than four points. They had actually built a 10-point lead in the first half, but came up short against Florida in that momentum. Yeah, and, and you and I were talking early in the game. They got, they got off to a really good start again, Derek. It, it looked like that they were going to keep momentum rolling and, and pick up another win against Florida. I mean, they, they honestly left off right where they picked, or picked up right where they left off against Tennessee. They were getting out in transition. Mintz was hot. Uh, B.J. Boston had a hot start, and then Florida goes to that 3-2 zone, that, that three-quarter uh, press, that, that token pressure to just slow Kentucky down. And then that matchup zone in the half court just had Kentucky in, in fits. They they just could not get anything going. And I think they made from about the 12-minute mark, maybe actually the 14-minute mark of the first half, they only made 19 field goals the entire game. So, But they made seven of those, I'm pretty sure, in the first six minutes. And then from 14 minutes, 13, somewhere through there to the remainder of the game, they made 12 more shots, Derek. And, you know, Jay Lucas said today, this morning, on the on the press conference that he had, that Florida threw a zone at them that they had not seen, even on film, I believe, is what he said. So it was kind of a totally new zone. And he could tell it really it really threw Kentucky off. I mean, it uh it was rolling right, right along. I think they had seven out of the first 11. And then, man, just couldn't bob buck. And that was the thing, too. I mean, they – they actually generated some pretty good looks, you know. Uh, they did get a stretch. Yeah, Mintz, Mintz had a great – he had a really good game on senior day. He led the team in scoring. And uh, this is not a criticism of him by any means, just to point out that he had a few really good looks that would have been pretty cool for the whole storybook aspect of things had he knocked down a few of those. Uh, I can think of Askew had a few, uh, at least one for sure in the second half that could have tied it um, that, you know, he missed. It didn't barely even drew iron, so – they just couldn't really seem to get that big shot to fall. And it was one of those weird games, Sean, where I felt like they weren't going to lose it. I don't know if you got that feeling or not, but it was one of those ones where you look up and it's like, dang, they uh, they, they could, just couldn't find a way. I kind of felt like they would find a way to pull it out. But um, uh, And I told you this, too, in terms of 
whether or not it will really help them, probably not Florida that is. But, like, I thought that was still a pretty gritty, tough win for Florida to go on the road and, and beat a Kentucky team that it had was. some momentum. And uh, I'm sure Florida probably felt like they didn't play their best either. But I don't know. Sean, something really weird that happened in the first half, too. Five dunks for Florida. Like, you just don't see that much against Kentucky. No. And honest, honestly, though, I felt I felt like they were going to lose. You know, I I texted you. We were you different in that aspect, yeah. Yeah, I texted you there in the first half and was talking to you about how that that zone was taking them out of their rhythm. And once it got to halftime, and they still weren't able to establish any kind of rhythm, they had, they'd had about ten to twelve minutes there in the first half against that zone and couldn't do anything against it. But then once you got into the fourteen, thirteen, twelve minute mark of the second half, and they still were struggling. I was like, look, if you haven't figured something out against that zone in 20 minutes, you're probably not going to figure it out in this game. So the only thing that's going to ride it for you would be your defense, uh, the free throw line, which they, they got to the free throw line a lot, Derek. But then they just weren't able to hit the open looks when they did get the open looks down the stretch. Uh, felt like one of those games that a good team finds a way to win. You know, yeah. where, where you're not finding, you're not having much success, but you find a way to grind one out. And this team just doesn't have that makeup. They just, they can't do that against quality teams. Yeah. And I think, you know, you saw another, just more evidence of how tough this is going to be when they get, do get to Nashville. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, a team like Florida, where's Florida in the conference? Top five, maybe? Yeah. Certainly not in the top three, are they? I don't think. So I, no, I think they're, I think they might be four now. Is that right? Yeah, so a team that's probably going to get a double bye in Nashville, but not a team that, you know, you probably aren't going to get too many people predicting, sorry about that, predicting uh, Kentucky, or sorry, predicting Florida to win the SEC tournament, but still a solid team and to come on the road. And, you know, they split. I mean, I understand Kentucky went down there. A different Florida team at the time and certainly a different Kentucky team too. Um, but they hadn't, it hadn't been that long since they had lost Keontae Johnson. I think at this point Florida was playing – you know, they've been playing a lot better basketball. And uh, I thought that was a solid team, a good win for Mike White, um, a, a guy that is very up and down. But honestly, for Florida, I mean, following up Billy Donovan, I think he's done fine. Not set the world on fire, but the program's not crashed either. They're going to make the NCAA tournament again this year. But a disappointing loss because, Sean, I really felt like had Kentucky won that game, I mean, they could have been riding legitimately a six-game winning streak because I feel like they're going to beat Ole Miss and uh, – in South Carolina this week, so they could have been really rolling into Nashville. But as it is, still a chance to to win five out of six to go down there. But as it looks right now, you were telling me before we logged on, I was under the impression that they had no chance now at the double bye, but it sounds like there might still be a scenario, a very, very, very unlikely scenario. But, man, that's going to be a tall task, isn't it, going yeah. down there and trying to, trying to win four in a row? It is, and uh, it's it's so unlikely that I don't even know if we should even discuss how unlikely it is, because that's uh, pretty much it's al- it's almost impossible. And I'd have to find I think it was John Hell that tweeted out the scenario that's still in play. And then two, it, it looks like Kentucky today would be what the nine? Is that how that would work? On the I SEC saw season? I think Matt Jones tweeted yesterday. They were either eight or nine. Yeah, I, I think playing Mississippi State, right? Maybe I'm yeah, yeah, Mississippi State, and then they would advance to play Alabama. I mean, it just, it's one of those things, Derek, you and I have went back and forth on this multiple times talking about how I know, I, don't, I know we've said it on here, but I know we've said it to one another at least ten times now that the Auburn loss and the Georgia loss just absolutely killed them. Yes, it, yeah. it took those two 
even with all the other losses, even with Saturday, even with the blown lead against Tennessee in the second half at Rupp Arena and all the other losses, it was those two that stand out the most that I think is kind of going to separate them from it, maybe at, at worst a five seed in the SEC tournament or something or possibly keeps them from the top four. Uh, you could throw Missouri in there. Arkansas at Rupp Arena had an opportunity to win that game. I just feel like that the issues that we've talked about all season long, they're they're still they're always going to be there. Like that, they're not going away with this team. Even when they play well, those those issues are still there. Uh, point guard play. I mean, John Calipari talked about it after the game Saturday when he was asked uh, about if one guy's struggling. You know, what's the thing? He said, "Well, you'd like to have someone who else that can." Co- someone else who can come in and do it they don't have that like that's just that's not what they have on this roster you know you and I are pretty much we've accepted I think all of us have that there is no playing Davion Mintz at the one for an extended period of time it's Devin Askew or nothing yeah and I'm, I mean I think you know Mintz does do a better job off the ball and if I feel like Calipari weighs that as at this point you just have to roll with with the struggles that ask you has because it might benefit your team more instead of say having put, you know, mints out there and then having to go BJ at the two or Allen or Brooks or whoever at the three, they just think that this is the best lineup and ask you is an interesting case because, you know, he's pretty certainly, I mean, I, I, I think for sure he's coming back. I don't, I don't think he has any NBA hopes after this year, but even then I don't think he's going to transfer either. So you think about him in the context that, you know, he's going to have the most minutes played on this team, yeah. most likely returning next year. So you hope that him going through these struggles, getting these minutes will pay off in the long run. But what's really interesting about him, and I'm sure we'll discuss this a lot more in the offseason, is that you know the role that he has now is probably not going to be his role next season. At least you probably hope you improve the roster to a point where he's not your point guard. So, you know, he's probably going to take a dip in minutes next year. I can't imagine he plays this many minutes unless, you know, there's an injury or they just don't add from the portal or from the high school ranks like we think they will. So I think you still have to view him in the context right now that this is hopefully going to be good for him in the long run. But it's tough, man, like like you're saying. I mean, he was dribbling the ball off his foot the other day. He was barely hitting the rim on wide open threes. Like, he's, I mean, he's a freshman. He's not a superstar freshman. It's well established at this point. But he's a kid who works hard. I think will improve. Um, but I think he's going to find himself in a new role next year, and he's he's got to have a big off season of improvement. But for this year, yeah, like, and that was kind of the thing too. I don't know. I didn't get a great gauge of the fan base. I didn't stay on the internet a lot Saturday night. I just, for me personally, it's like nothing that happened on Saturday is any different no. than some of the other losses. Like at this point, you just got to accept it for what it is. You got to be hopeful that they'll hit a miracle in Nashville, but, you know, logically, probably not going to happen. Well, that's why I just don't know if they can do it because – It's asking a lot, right, for four it, days. I mean, every, every game they play is going to be close in Nashville. Yeah. They're not – I don't think they're blowing anyone out. Now, they did embarrass Tennessee pretty much in Knoxville, but still, this team just the margin for error is so thin. And, you know, we keep pointing to next year – and all this, but I think when we point to next year, we went from talking about Davion Mintz just being a possibility to come back to now I think we're at a point where Davion Mintz has to come back. Is that, got, is that like oh, he, they need him to come back? Well, I was to the point I was talking to you, I think I said on here too, that like you'd be in a really good spot if you could get Mintz and Askew off the bench, but now I'm to the point where like, man, I don't think it'd be a horrible thing if Mintz is starting too next year. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's at the point that's to the point that we're at now when we talk about next season's roster. There's some. I mean, I have some concerns when it comes to to people. I still want to see exactly how it plays out. Uh, Lance Ware hasn't played in a while. You know, what's the mindset like going into next season? I do think he'll be at Kentucky, but you never want to assume with any of these guys at any level in any program in college basketball, but you never want to assume at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, he sent out a tweet the other night, Vince did, and I, don't, I didn't take it to mean that he wasn't coming back or he was for sure. I mean, he just thanked the fans. And it was senior day. I'm sure he was feeling emotional that day. But he um, – Unless he's just dead set on beginning a pro career and he doesn't really have an NBA future, I don't think, but maybe he could play in the G League or, or very likely overseas. I have no doubt thinking he can play overseas. Unless he's super eager to start that pro career, and he might be. I mean, he's already in his fifth year. I mean, he's been in college a long time. He might not want to come back, but I do feel like he's going to be someone Calipari pushes for. And I, and I think my personal opinion is he will, but I've not heard that definitively from anyone. But, man, he would be – he would be someone you really want on next year's team, a team that should have some experience anyway. But, I mean, a talented player, a very streaky shooter, especially from three. But at the same time, I mean, he's he's a good player. Like, you yeah. you want him on your team, basically, for for another year. And, you know, how, how scatterbrained has Cal been this year when it comes to the offensive end of the floor? I mean, we're talking about Saturday when they're in a situation, Derek, that in the 12 years that John Calipari has been at Kentucky – 95% of the time, Calipari does not call a timeout with eight seconds remaining on the shot clock. He trusts one of his guards to go make a play. And late in the game Saturday, eight seconds on the shot clock, Kentucky was going nowhere offensively, and he called timeout. That screams like issues to me when it comes to this team just does not have anyone that can break someone down and make a play. Like that was exactly – to me, that was the blueprint of looking at what the problem has been all season. Late in the clock, nobody could get by anyone. Yeah, yeah, and I think what they had to settle for a late Olivier shot Sar. clock. Olivier yeah. Sar contested three. And how many yeah. times do we know that that's not going in? You know what I mean? Like, right. like he he was not part of the play there, and and then eight then eight seconds on the shot clock. We're talking by the time that you get yourself open and get the ball inbound and to get momentum, you're probably looking at five six seconds on the clock. Yeah, I mean with with a backcourt that can't get by anyone, so either you're shooting it wide open off some action immediately. You're not getting anything, uh, but that—that's the problem. Like I just feel like that when you look at that, it's kind of easy now to see that they just don't have a guy that can kind of go make a play when things blow up or when a, when a play goes haywire. They—they they don't have a guy like De'Aaron Fox or a Malik Monk that can go get a basket. Speaking of Malik Monk, he had a really good night last night. Uh, P.J. Washington had 42 in a win against the Kings, and Malik, Malik Monk I think had 21 and hit the had the game winning and one with one second to go. Yeah, those guys were showing out. And the Nerlens and Noel also had a phenomenal block um, in their game. I, I actually didn't even realize he was playing with the Knicks, to be honest with you. I know he was with the Thunder last year. My buddy, if everybody remembers, Joe Masada from the UK BD covers the Thunder now. We had discussed him a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was a great night for PJ. And uh, to kind of segue, we've only got a few minutes left as we got to get to another interview here in a few minutes. But some thoughts that Keon Brooks could be kind of a – junior Keon Brooks could be like a sophomore PJ Washington-ish type player. And Keon had a tough game Saturday. Yeah, he, he did. Um, unexpected. It, very, very unexpected. Because even the games that he hadn't scored and hadn't made an impact, you know, with, with putting the ball in the basket, he was grabbing 10 to 14 rebounds. He was getting three or four assists. He was making some plays defensively. Uh, wasn't engaged Saturday at all, I didn't think. I thought he 
he made a couple of plays that freshman Kellen Brooks made. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that's the thing though. Like we're talking about a guy that didn't play um, until January this season. So, I mean, I'm sure they're still establishing a rhythm and getting some consistencies there. Florida's a team that he played well against his entire time at Kentucky. So that was a bit surprising. Maybe the game should have been in Gainesville and he would have gone for 20. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Kentucky still has some things they got to figure out, Derek. They have two games remaining. Uh, Old Miss tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. And then Saturday, we were hoping that this game wouldn't be a late game. And it's a noon game yeah. on ESPN. So uh, an early Saturday game. Then we get to you know watch the rest of college basketball. And then we'll gear up and get ready for the SEC tournament. But one qu- quick question before we wrap up. There's been some debate on Twitter the last couple of days about the best shot, bl- shot blocker in you know, like our lifetimes at UK. I know Matt Jones put up a list. Kyle Tucker shared his opinion. A lot of people shared their opinion. Uh, it's pretty much Nerlens Noel, Anthony Davis. What, how do you weigh on that really quickly? Well, that's what I would add is there's a massive drop-off in my opinion. After there is. Um, and it's hard, that, it's hard not to pick Anthony Davis just because of what he did over the course of an entire year and rewrote you know, the record books. But Nerlens Noel was on pace to be I right guess, there. Yeah. And then the game against Ole Miss where he blocked all those shots with four fouls, it, it's it's hard not. I mean, you're, I don't think you're wrong picking either guy, That's honestly. what I was going to say. Like, both guys have a case. Like, you're right. If Nerlens doesn't get hurt and they play enough games, he probably breaks the record. For steals, probably, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think all around in college, Nerlens Noel was the better shot blocker. But at the same time, if you wanted to pick Anthony Davis, like he set the record, you're not really going wrong there either. You're, you're that was the thing. I went and looked at like the per 40, and I think Anthony Davis was 5.8 per 40, and Nerlens Noel was 5.4. And I think the drop off. The thing about this way, Willie Colley Stein played three years at Kentucky, and Anthony Davis almost had more blocks than him in one year. I think Willie had 223 for his whole career, and Davis had 186. So that just tells you. One, those three guys played back-to-back years, obviously, with Davis and then Colley Stein and Nerlens on the same team. But two, I mean, to have Anthony Davis followed up by Nerlens Noel, it was a different era back then that uh, Kentucky was recruiting to be able to pull dudes like that. But that was a fun thought. Because initially I was like, surely it's Anthony Davis. And the more I thought about it, I was like, well, it really might be. Yeah, I, I, I do think that there's an argument there for either one of those guys. I would go Davis just because – of the full season and the impact and how dominant that team was and just how many shots that he kept in play. Like how many shots that he blocked that Kentucky got transition opportunities out of and stuff. But uh, we just wanted to get on here and record a kind of a quick recap of what happened between Kentucky and Florida. I know it wasn't a ton. We didn't give you a ton of information. There's really not a ton to talk about. It's been the same story over and over again, but we're we're back on a normal schedule this week. We're going to try to get, I think, five episodes in, Monday through Friday, Derek. I know that's something me and you, you and I are wanting to do because we do have some big news coming to Kentucky Daily here in the near future. We don't want to we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Derek, but we're 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 pretty excited about an opportunity that's come our way that we're working on. Yeah, once we get pen to paper, we'll uh, discuss in a more formal setting. But yeah, we we appreciate. Really, the listeners, or man, we'll get into it later. But we we should always thank our listeners. So we want to thank you guys today. Yeah, for and when, when our this... numbers are still going strong, and I know we've had some hit or miss type things here, but with the season winding down, we want to try to get to recording every day. Spring football starts this month, so we'll have that to talk about. Baseball, softball, 
things like that. So, so thank you guys for tuning in as always. Yeah. And, and when this happens, we'll be sure to thank you even more for sure. Uh, but I uh, also want to thank the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg, third location coming this month to London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you Tuesday on Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.